Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in, Rob Black. New focus on wealth. Talking about ways to get wealthy. With that being said, I I tend not to be a home run hitter. I get involved in home runs, but my goal every at bat, which equates to every single year, is to play the game and to play it as well as I can, knowing that some years are going to be better than others. But I'm not trying to smack one out of the room or smack one out of the building or stadium every single time. Um, I'd rather create wealth slowly and intelligently. I love my stocks that have dividends. I love my growth stocks. I love my tech stocks. There's no doubt that I skew towards things that should get you market outperformance. But I'm not looking or sitting on a fastball each and every time. If that were the case, I'd probably be going after Bitcoin right now, even though it's down pretty aggressively over the weekend. But that's not the point of this segment. The point is to tell you a little bit more about things that I, I, I want to kind of set you up with expectations for. I've got a dog and I look through all my expenses. Okay, we can go with mortgages. That's expensive. Cars, expensive. Divorce is expensive. You get the idea, right? Then you start getting an insurance and TV and dog. And dog sometimes trumps the TV and some of your other expenses, right? Yeah. That dog insurance, all I would all I highly recommend is you consider it. If you have an active if you buy an active dog or if you get an active puppy and you were to Google it, let's say you're getting a poop zoo, which is my way of saying a shit zoo. When you get the dog Google annual medical cost of a Shih Tzu or of a Vishla or of a mixed mutt and decide if you can take those kind of hits. If you're treating your dog more like a person, you're not alone. The humanization of pets has gained traction for many years. Dogs have made an inexplorable um, leap from the backyard to the sofa as people and pets bond as the years go forward during the pandemic and beyond. Do you remember growing up? You're like, yeah, my dog's going to sleep outside at a doghouse. And you're like, oh, come inside, puppy. No, no, get out of the bed. And you're like, I should never let the dog on the bed. He should stand outside in a doghouse all the time. Owners are treating their pets better than they're spending. Sometimes on themselves. Pet supply sales are going strong as pet owners buy everything from kibble infused with quinoa and avocado to hip and joint supplements to prevent arthritis. 
animal health product sales are growing by 7% annually. That's beating our GDP, except for those years where we go from a recession into massive government spending. But that's pretty, pretty rare. Pet product sales are going to hit 11 billion by the year 2020. Now, if I'm a college kid, a high school kid, maybe a college dropout right now, I'm looking for cities that have jobs that are fast growing. I'm looking for jobs that are fast growing. And I'm telling you one right now is the dog care industry or the, the puppy industry. Pet IQ is flourishing in the climate. It looks like a stock that could be picked up. There's other names like Chewy, Fresh Pet, Idex Laboratories, Zoetis. Retail sales are rising faster as volume shift from vet offices to online channels. Let me repeat that. Retail sales are rising faster as volumes are shifting from vet offices to the online channels. I remember... I guess I, I want to say my first dog in my 30s. I I learned how to give my dog shots because I didn't realize you could not do that at the vet. You could actually do it at home if you want to. It's not that difficult. It's not that hard to figure out. But you got to get used to the idea and the concept. And having a puppy look at you a little later in the day is like, did you get to stick me again? I'll bite your butt. I'll bite your butt. I, yeah, I will. So anyway, Chewy, there's a little C-H-W-Y, Fresh Pet, F-R-P-T. IDX Laboratories, I-D-X-X, Zoetis, there's a little Z-T-S. There's a company called Pet IQ, which is one you've never heard of. And when I read or bump into research and articles along those lines, I'm like, let's, let's find out a little bit more about what they do. Pet IQ has grown into the largest retail distributor of over-the-counter and prescription products for pets. They're the largest. That sounds like a good start to me. Ticker symbols pet P E T Q. Um, a lot of people that work in retail kind of figure out how to do retail better than retail's doing it itself. This is gonna sound like I'm making this up, but probably for about two months, maybe three during a summer. Um during maybe my 11th grade year. I worked at like a Rite Aid stocking shelves from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Then I'd go like do a line cook kind of thing. Like I was hustling. It was a side hustle. I couldn't, that, that 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. shift restocking shelves was brutal. But I learned a lot about the industry. Distribution is low margin. But Pet IQ's branded products generate healthy profit margins. It's cash cow. Company bought a clinic business in 2018 and operates more than 3,400 pop-up clinics a year, offering services out of a van, mall, or store for a day or two a week. Anything that doesn't require anesthesia. The next leg of growth is converting the pop-ups to permanent clinics in big box retailers like Walmart, Tractor Supply. This Again, I'm still talking about dog care, pet care. We go to a clinic rather than a vet's office for one thing pet owners don't have a vet that they're loyal to. They kind of see the dog still as not a family member when it comes to do you really need the same x-rays, the same doctor forever and ever. So this is a company that's in the right position to take that over. Pet IQ's average customer bill is around $100, well below the average bill of a vet visit of $300. 
So again, the whole industry is growing at about 7% annually. And I'm looking for products inside this industry that people are globbing onto. Maybe not like a stuffed uh, doll toy. I'm looking at the healthcare side of it because that's where the money is to me. So again, I'm looking at Chewy, Fresh Pet, IDEX Laboratories, IDXX, Zoetis, ZTS, um, and Pet IQ. And after that, you kind of run out of ideas. Just throwing that out there for you. Right now, the clinics still aren't really much of a profit driver, but they're getting people used to the product business. And that will be the growth engine of services. To double revenue and triple revenue, uh, to double revenue and triple earnings, the company has something in place, an idea. People are becoming better pet parents. Is that not like the most California thing I've ever said? Should I get out my flippy floppy is what I say that? It feels like maybe I should. 800-516-1220 to get your calls up on the air anything you want to talk about we could talk about money investing and more you can always drop me a line and find me online at robblackshow.com that's robblackshow.com you're talking how to create wealth that's what the show is all about and again i'm not trying to hit home runs i'm trying to play trends find me online at robblackshow.com so you might have figured out that I took a couple days off last week. A little bit of spring break. A little bit of just stepping away from the news cycle, the investment cycle, kind of refresh. I stayed on top of my research, of course, because that's it's kind of like batting practice for me. Did a lot of work. Way too much work on Disney. Bob Chapik is the CEO. He's replaced Eisner. And the whole industry is just, it's, no, no, no. How do I say this correctly? Disney's had a string of CEOs that, in my opinion, show you how good they are, how deep their bench is, whether it's Bob Iger, Eisner, or Chappick. Chappick was somebody that, I had to do some work on last year. He was head of distribution for Walt Disney Studios. He appeared to have given the thumbs up to the board of directors that he could handle the whole streaming operation thing well. And if he could handle that well, he could handle all of the components of Disney. So I was spending a little time in Southern California. And Disney comes up, of course, right? Disneyland, Disney World. You kind of see it as Disney cruises. You see a lot of pandemic in Disney. So let's talk a little bit about it. Disneyland in California reopens at the end of the month with some now familiar pandemic compromises. 25% capacity. I'll tell you what, that's fine by me. I don't like crowds. I spent some time in Southern California. I was on some Southern California beaches, Avila, Pismo. Carmel, Northern California. No one was there. It's the most amazing time in the world to hit California beaches because there is no one. And if you compare California beaches to the East Coast beaches, East Coast beaches, I would say, if you could fit a thousand people on a beach, 
there's typically about 1,100. California beaches, if you can fit 1,000, there's typically about 500. Right now, there's like 200. I'm just telling, and again, I, I'm kind of making those numbers up, but it's nice. So we're going to get 25% capacity at Disneyland. Masks, no parades, no fireworks, no high fives from Goofy. The staff of Haunted Mansion is going to have to wear masks. You're like, whoa. And I'm okay with it because you know what? Saturday and Sunday I went to my kids' soccer games. And the kids played with masks on. And I'll tell you what, just seeing kids run around can bring a tear to your eye. Even with masks on. It feels like we're reopening. Bob Champick, who ran the park's businesses for Walt Disney before being named CEO two weeks before the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a thing, a pandemic. He really stepped into the the fray, <laughs> for lack of a better timing, like the poop show was hitting. I watched a couple of his video chats. He talked about operational details that anticipate a return to boom times. Mobile ordering is up 84% on food purchases versus 13% below the pandemic. Before the pandemic. That's a pretty staggering number. When we do go back to ballparks, when we do go back to movies, more and more of it is going to be driven by ordering food from our, our seats. That's a pretty big shift. Disney's faced the severest of the financial crisis stress tests, and they've come out ahead. Parks and theaters emptied out a year ago, completely emptied. Those costs kept rolling in. Their fastest growing business streaming, they had a lot of cash going out. It was consuming cash. Making all those series, whether it be the Boba Fett series or the Mandalorian or the Avenger series, the I can't even keep up with them. There's too much streaming in my mind. But eh, I don't want to say that because I'm always looking for something, right? Disney generated $3.6 billion in free cash flow last year. They pulled in $3.6 billion in free cash flow. Wow. That's with no parks, very few movies, and the huge cost of Disney+. Plus. You keep seeing how Netflix now is starting to lose a little bit of its edge. But they're still pumping billions and billions and billions into content. That hurts free cash flow. Stuff that's going out versus stuff that's coming in, right? Disney suspended its modest dividend last year. Stock's up 45% since Chapek took over versus 33% for the S&P 500, which is kind of a comparison tool. I don't think investing is about picking stocks and hitting home runs. I think it's about comparing so that you know your level of risk and feel comfortable with it. Netflix had passed Disney by stock market value. Now, Disney recently valued at $340 billion is $100 billion ahead of Netflix. I'm not crazy bullish on Disney, but do I see it as a trillion-dollar company at some point in time? Yeah. Joining the likes of Apple, Microsoft, and others? Yes. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. Because you grew up with Goofy and Minnie Mouse, Mickey Mouse. What's up with a rat that wears pants, right? It's a trillion-dollar brand if it's not a trillion-dollar business. Do I own Disney? I do. Will I buy more Disneys in my lifetime? I probably will. 
I don't know for certain I could die today. So I have to say that I have to couch that probably in there. But my plan is yes. Back in November 2019, when Disney Plus launched, the company had a goal of reaching 60 to 90 million subscribers by fiscal 2024. In March, it hit 100 million. So they're hitting their check marks nicely. Traditional television is not expected to grow. That's a bit of a problem. It's slowly dying. Disney's new reporting category for cable and broadcast results rose 2% year over year. That's revenue for linear networks. That's when you're starting to go, oh, what is, what's Disney trying to cover up? ABC's not great. ESPN's, it's pretty darn good, but it's also pretty darn expensive to operate. Direct consumer, Disney's term for streaming is the priority right now, but they're not abandoning linear. So it's linear TV on one side for Disney, streaming on the other side. They're kind of loving the right hand and not the left hand. Disney sudden management change. Once you move Chapik up to replace Iger, who replaced Eisner, um, you start questioning the bench of who's the next talent. We've seen some talent leave Disney when they're not promoted to CEO, and they've gone on to do some wonderful things in other companies. So we know that they have a bench. That's where the annual report comes in handy for me. So I can read up on their board of directors and who's in charge of what, what products. It all means something to me. So the issues that I wrestle with with Disney is whether the company can improve on what it has just done. When the whole Avengers movie series ended the Avengers Endgame I was like what's next right and whether or not the stock which trades at a price level has more upside I think it has upside over time based on free cash flow do I think it'll outperform the markets every year no do I think it outperforms the markets in the next 10-20 years yes it's a small world after all I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing and more we focus on wealth Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Welcome in. However, I'm supposed to say that. Rob Black and Your Money. New focus on wealth. It's a show dedicated to kind of like the bigger picture. I've talked about Disney already and the pet care industry. The pet care industry, fast growing. Disney had that rare ability of a lot of talk, stock talk, stock talk with Rob Black in the last 52 weeks has come down to uh, the pandemic plays, things that we do while we're staying inside and trying to stay healthy, and the reopening plays. Disney's kind of got both things going on. And one of the interesting things that I brushed up on with Disney is they talked about the one area they're a little bit weak in, as far as confidence go, are will people go back to movie theaters? And we've seen in the last 52 weeks a lot of dialogue about, you know, Time Warner's evil because they're releasing movies straight to their service, HBO Max, trying to get subscribers up so they could say the same thing that disney said for two years ago we had projections of this and we hit that plus 10 20 30 percent i've got hbo max 
um, I'm good with it. I've always liked the HBO Sunday night lineups, whether it be Game of Thrones, The Sopranos. They kind of made Sunday night a thing for high-quality scripted shows. But Disney, um, or I'm sorry, in this case, HBO Max, they've said everything in 2021 we're going to release on HBO Max when we release it in the movie theaters. And I'm like, that's pretty good. That's that's a good reason to pay 10 bucks a month for HBO Max, in my opinion. Because if you have children and you've quickly learned the movie theater process is no longer just buy a $10 ticket, sneak some candy in, um, and you get away with a $40 afternoon. No, 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 no. Now there's recliners that cost $33 for adults, $15 for kids. There's pizza. There's it, it, It's, how shall we say, a big financial decision that you may have to take out a mortgage to, to satisfy your family's movie-wanting needs. So that whole Kong versus Godzilla doing very, very well right now. HBO Max caught a lot of flack because they they changed their business model. And movie theaters like, we've been there for you. And when you wanted a Kong versus Godzilla cardboard cutout, we put it up for you. And when you wanted us to shift our snacks to more high end, we did that for you. And now with the pandemic, people can't come to movie theaters. And instead of waiting it out and releasing these big movie pictures uh, in the theaters, first and foremost, for 60 days or 45 days, whatever the current window is. You're going straight to your own service as well. Screw you, big media companies. HBO Max has kind of changed the business model. For them, Disney has said, you know, and this is where I like Disney, and I don't think there's a right answer for the record. I probably own a little bit of Netflix, a little bit of Disney, a little bit of like HBO Max, uh, Time Warner, like it, AT&T. AT&T owns Time Warner. Time Warner owns HBO Max. It's kind of tough to put this puzzle together at times. Um, but Disney said something kind of interesting. They said, you know, we have a quality standard. We're always going to hit that. So we're not 100% sure people are going to come back to movie theaters. Maybe it'll be 80%. Maybe it'll be 70%. Some people will just be freaked out by the idea of sitting close to each other ever again. The middle seat on an airplane right now, oh boy, that's probably the least favorite seat of any uh, seat on the airplane, right? Please, please, please. You're sitting by the window. You're by yourself. You're like stoked. No one's in the middle seat. Oh, dear God. Don't let that 600-pound man sit next to me who's bringing on three Subway sandwiches that he's going to eat throughout the flight. Oh, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, he turned. You're like, you don't want to sit next to people with germs right now. And I'm not saying 600-pound people have germs. I'm saying you don't want to sit next to people. Same thing with movie theater. So, Disney said something kind of interesting. We have a quality standard. We're going to hit it. It's not the end of big budget movies, but maybe only the big budget movies are what we're going to release in movie theaters. So let's say that they've got a heartwarming story of Tom Cruise is a hardened, saddened, tough hombre whose wife died of cancer and he meets a little orphan. It probably doesn't have explosions in it except for joy and happiness. It probably does have plane crashes in it. It probably just has hospital scenes of the wife dying and maybe a long lost cousin who comes to visit and he thought he was saving her. It was she who was saving him. Disney's saying like, we probably don't need to put that movie in a theater. We could probably stream that one on Disney plus. And I like that idea. 
because there is something to be said for Kong versus Godzilla in a movie theater where I dropped easily $200, even though I have HBO Max and it's free with the service and I have a big honking TV. I don't have a 70 inch or I find that people that go 70 inches or bigger are weird as like when I go in their house, I'm like, Hey, let me introduce you to my TV. It's a hundred inches. I start like looking for the exit. Like, I'm like, you're a weirdo. That's too big of a TV. I think you're going to cut me up and Jeffrey Dahmer me and put me in a free, free, freezer and eat me. I know I just pissed off all of our hundred inch TV listeners. <laughs> Chad Rickon. But one of the things I do is I, I, I just, I kind of call say it like I see it. I call it like I feel it. Anyhow, and anyway, um, big story this week is going to be crypto. Crypto is getting choppy in a lot of people's minds. And there was a rumor going around this weekend that China is going to come up with their own cryptocurrency for the 2022 Olympics for visitors who come to their country. That's an interesting thing. That's very China thing. That's very, very interesting. Crypto kind of collapsed over the weekend on that story and stories of the U.S. government may start cracking down on cryptocurrencies because it's being used in drug deals. That one feels more like a rumor. But the China thing feels more like, that sounds about like China. Bitcoin broke below 52,000 over the weekend after closing at 64,000 on Friday. Dogecoin. I mean, the crypto craze right now, if I were to put it this way, Dogecoin. Um, People are, Jim Cramer, on CBC last week and he said, hey, the money that I made in Bitcoin, I paid off a mortgage. And he basically said, I paid off a real world, real dollar expense with something he, he didn't refer to it as silly, but he, he was saying it wasn't real money. But he, he sold, he paid off something with it. So it's becoming a little bit more legit. This is an interesting week, so we're going to pay attention to the correction that's going on in Bitcoin, which I think a lot of people, if it were to pull back 40 to 60%, it would be a buying opportunity and not a selling situation. But that's very early analysis. You should consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks ever mentioned on the show. Earnings season is heating up this week. Last week, we got a lot of big banks. This week, we get names like Coca-Cola, who said in their earnings report this morning, we're back to pre-pandemic levels of soda. Now, again, that's probably not the most interesting reopening stat that I could throw at you, but it's okay. Tuesday, we're going to get Harley Davidson, which, boy, are they in a weird issue. They make gas guzzling and motorcycles in a time where electric vehicles are the rage. Did you see the big story over the weekend that two people died in a Tesla? Here was the crazy thing. No one was driving the car. So apparently it was too. And again, this is how the news works. I I don't even know the story and I'm making it up now. These two yahoos decided to test autopilot. One was sitting in the back seat. One was sitting in the passenger seat and they're playing with it. And somehow the car caught on fire and it burned and burned and burned and burned and they died. But the police were quick to say there was no driver. So I'm like, and I just start, I fill in the blanks. I'm like, were they drunk? Were they trying to do something like show how sexy and cool the car is in a dumb kind of way that killed them? Maybe. 
Somebody be paying attention to Harley Davidson on Tuesday. Johnson & Johnson reports Tuesday, too. They're the one-shot COVID vaccine people who've had some problems with quality control in the manufacturing process. On top of, uh, some of the side effects are statistically less meaningful than the same similar side effects that women get from being on birth control. And we're all good at night sleeping with, hey, women can take birth control. If they get a blood clot, it's, it's so rare, it'll never happen. It's like winning the lottery. The amount of blood clots from birth control that women take is a higher statistical number than the complications of a blood clot from a Johnson Johnson shot or other people's shots. And yet we're kind of like slowing everything down and trying to analyze, which I totally get. Having confidence in your science of what's being poked in your arm is pretty important. But Johnson Johnson's report Tuesday, and I, I kind of want to hear their update on COVID. Netflix reports Tuesday as well. I kind of want to hear when Stranger Things is coming back. Because for me, Netflix is product-driven. With me, Johnson Johnson, to me, they sell so many Band-Aids and Don't Cry Baby Shampoo, and here I am only talking about COVID. Because that's the sexy, that's the sizzle. Wednesday, we get Chipotle Mexican Grill, another company that during the pandemic figured out how to better serve you coming out of the pandemic. I'm stoked. They're adding something called Chipotle lanes, which I guess are parking spaces and lanes inside the store that trying to figure out how to. I love that. I'm okay with it. I found myself in a Best Buy over the weekend. And the stand here, I'm okay with. The plastic shelves, I'm okay with. Is it ideal? It doesn't, it's neither ideal nor positive or negative to me. I just could tell you that the operational efficiency of ordering online for both Disney and Chipotle make a lot of sense. I'm looking forward to Chipotle's earnings on Wednesday. AT&T on Thursday. Will HBO Max help? That's my question. I'm Ron Black talking all things financial. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Sorry, I got allergies. Enjoy Taylor and not my goose honking noise. I still got some more in me. I'm sorry. One of the negatives on pandemic, even though Chipotle could do online ordering, I, I've lost my cough button, which is also a sneeze button because I'm doing the show remotely. Although it looks like maybe possibly I'll sneak into the radio station sometime soon. More. And then shortly thereafter, maybe TV because they're going a little bit slower. Uh, TV stations in San Francisco, radio stations in Fremont. And again, I'm not getting really political here, but it doesn't it feel like different cities in the Bay Area and different cities across America are taking the pandemic on different levels of seriousness or science or feelings of, you know, having your own rights. It's going to be interesting. Um, see the reopening because it, let me give you an example. I took a couple of days off last week just to literally give my phone to my kids and 
not look at my phone for a few days. Um, I know you're saying you, you don't have to go on vacation to do that, Rob. <laughs> it feels like I do. But um, Southern California, there was not a mask in sight um, on sidewalks. And I'll use sidewalks as kind of like a politically correct way of saying, let's not get in, into the or how upset we are about restaurants reopening or not reopening, bars reopening or not reopening. I did sit at a bar in Southern California uh, and had my first lunchtime order. And I was like, this is weird. It's been 14 months since I've sat down and had lunch by myself in my own head. But no one's wearing masks. And in Southern California, I, I kind of think of LA and South. This is Avila Beach, which is north of Santa Barbara, which is north of LA. So it's, it's still Southern, yeah, but no one wearing a mask, except for people in restaurants. On sidewalks, no one. Then you come up to Carmel, spend a day or two there, and you're like, everyone's wearing masks on beaches? And I'm like, do you, I'm one of those people, I'm probably not a six-footer. I'm probably more of like a, let's just stay nine to 10 feet apart and we don't have to wear masks if we're 15 or 30 feet or 45 feet from, but in Carmel, everyone's wearing masks 45 feet apart. They, they might as well have been wearing surgeon scrubs, the difference between Northern California and Southern California. And again, I'm just, uh, just it's going to be an interesting reopening. Vacasa has talked about this. Vacasa, if you will, is a poor man's Airbnb. Some things Airbnb does right, gives Airbnb and be the check mark. Some of the things they do wrong, Vicasa picks up and does it a little bit better. Their CEO is talking about an epic summer. The COVID-19 pandemic has supercharged the market for short-term vacation rentals. Up 213% March of 2021 over March of 2019. They're seeing really high rates. People are willing to pay a super premium to stay in your home. Higher rates than 2019. Record demand combined with low inventory means vacation rental landlords are commanding a premium. They're setting their own terms. I'm at the stage of my life where my first marriage ended on the second one. The second one creates some children. Now I'm starting to think like, okay, maybe 10 more years of income and then transition that into an income portfolio to live off till the day I die. And even with my rental properties, like during COVID, I'll be honest with you, I, I hid in one of them up in the mountains for a long period of time. Um, the Bay Area is too congested where you're on a sidewalk, 10 other people are on a sidewalk. The mountains, you're on a sidewalk, no one else is there. So I, I, I spent some time decompressing, but also just playing the numbers. So Vicosa is kind of interesting. Again, a poor man's Airbnb saying record demand combined with low inventory means vacation rental landlords are commanding a premium. I've got a second home that I'm, I, as I'm telling you about my life and um, like pushing towards that income portfolio, the vacation home, which was originally designed to be a rental for six weeks of the year and then mine for 46 weeks of the year. I'm now starting to, and then I, I got into it. I'm like, I don't want people here. So I, I'd only give it to friends and family. Um, 
Now I'm thinking about opening up as a rental and using Vicasa or Airbnb, A, because it's a desirable location, and B, as the pandemic ends, I want to get out of the state of California and not stay in the state of California. And that's an asset that will sit empty and dormant if I don't make a move. So I'm starting to think about converting it. So this is not a surprise when Vicasa says we're going to see a massive summer of vacation rentals with 13% higher lengths of stay. When people are vacationing, they're staying longer. So if you're in like Los Angeles or Napa or Santa Fe, New Mexico, North Carolina, there's Black Mountains, there's Holden Beach, there's Asheville, there's the Outer Banks. These are areas that are just huge demand for people to say, I'm going to take two weeks off, 10 days off instead of five to seven days off. But it's not just Vicasa who's seeing high demand. Airbnb's most recent earnings call said that they see a significant travel rebound. Expedia, who has VRBO, is the lone bright spot of the travels company portfolio. They're struggling with hotels and airlines, but they're doing great with home rentals. The whole industry is, the airline industry is saying, we're focusing on the U.S. and we're putting huge planes into our domestic travel. That there's huge planes used to go across the ocean, taking people to Europe and taking people to Hawaii and Asia. Now we're just going to focus domestically for this summer, and we'll figure out the fall and next spring and summer later. But you got to be intrigued by the travel and leisure industry. Pent-up demand is huge. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money investing, and more. Talking about new ways of creating wealth. Find me online at robblackshow.com.